This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the latest Total Saints podcast. You're very welcome, so thank you very much for listening. This episode is going to see us have an extended interview with Greg Baker, who's the head of the Saints Foundation. Greg talks about some of the fantastic work that the Foundation have continued doing during the coronavirus pandemic, a lot of it being realigned from maybe some of the tasks and deliverables they would have been expecting to do, but still very much servicing the needs of the people of Southampton. Alongside that, I had the chance to catch up with Danny Ings last week and talk to him a little bit about Netley, about scoring and knee sliding at Fratton Park and his overall thoughts on Project Restart. So they'll both be coming up later on in the pod. In the meantime, I just wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who fed back on last week's episode around the Dow, which of course was celebrating the anniversary of the 19th year since the doors closed on the Dow after 103 years of service. There was one particular piece of feedback that I wanted to just make sure we added into the pod this week. He came from Tony in France and uh, Tony said, I'd love the pod. I just wish I had sent my stories of the Dalin. Well, Tony, I'm going to make sure that we read them out now because I think lots of people will be very interested in your story. So Tony says, the pod brought back so many memories. I was at the same 9-3 game as Leon. I was also at Mick Shannon's testimonial. I had actually forgotten about it when it was being described. I kept thinking it was against QPR, so I was pleased when it was said by Glenn on the pod. My mum was actually born in Milton Road. I was born in Wilton Avenue, number 44 and grew up in that area until I was eight. It was great to hear both roads mentioned. My mum told me she used to see Alf Ramsey walk by the house carrying his boots after he had got off the bus in Bedford Place. How times have changed. I took my late dad, ex-mayor of Southampton between 1979 and 80, to the last ever game versus Brighton. We'd just been tidying up his things and have just found his ticket. He used to lift me over the turnstile at the Archers Road end and give the bloke sixpence in old money. All those memories came flooding back thanks to you, Russell, Glenn and Will. 
I was working in the garden here in Bobby Stokes' goal, made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Thank you for the memories. So I just wanted to make sure that we got that in there. Tony, really appreciated. And as I say to everyone who fed back, I'm glad everyone enjoyed it. I think all of us learned one or two new things from putting that pod together and listening to it. Right, let's move on with this week's episode. As I say, we're first going to hear from Greg and then we'll have Danny on at the end. This is TSP 117, sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk. I'd really love a hot tub, but I don't know where to start. How easy is the process? It's as easy as one, two, three. Who are you? I'm the man who puts happy people in hot tubs. One, choose your hot tub at Happy Hot Tubs. Two, choose your accessories. And three, choose how you want to pay. With 0% finance available on selected tubs, we even accept American Express. You deserve happy. And at Happy Hot Tubs, it's as easy as one, two, three. Happyhottubs.co.uk Hi guys, I'm Danny Ings and you're listening to Total Saints Podcast. It's been a little while since we last caught up, our live 100th episode indeed, but we're delighted to re-welcome Greg Baker to TSP. As most of you will know, Greg is the head of the Saints Foundation, our club's brilliant and committed charity, which has continued its incredible work despite the challenge of the past few months. Greg, firstly, thanks for joining us again. How have you been keeping during lockdown? Yeah, all right, actually. I'm going a little bit stir-crazy now, but the first <laughs> few weeks were really busy, so... That kind of kept my mind off everything. And then, yeah, the last few weeks, kind of want it all over with, but um, don't we all? So, uh, yeah, not too bad. Can't complain. Come on to talk about the charity in a minute, but a new experience, I imagine, trying to work from home every day. Yeah, it's a bit different. It brings some massive challenges in terms of communication, but actually, you know, the tech that we've got in place now, um, you know, whether that's Teams or Skype or phone calls or whatever, makes it so much easier than it would have been a few years ago. So we're really grateful for that. Um, and actually, you know, the commitment that we've got within our team has been exemplary. So actually, that's, uh, that's been the main thing for me is that people have just wanted to continue to contribute. So it's been less of a problem than it might have been, really. Yeah. Look, I, I know many Saints fans will have read much of it. And uh, obviously, we heard from you, as I say, in the 100th episode about some of the work you were doing then. But can you give us a summary of the sort of specific work that the Saints Foundation has been undertaking during this coronavirus pandemic? So, you know, the likes of the sort of 12,000 free meals being pledged to some of Southampton's most vulnerable people people etc yeah of course yeah no absolutely i mean obviously things have changed a little bit since we spoke in uh, january was it around obviously what we were doing at the time and and i guess the, the thing is we've tried to be consistent with still continuing to support people albeit just we're having to do it in a slightly different way hmm. um so we're still continuing to support a lot of our existing participants whether that's through phone calls online mentoring whether that's through setting them challenges quizzes fifa tournaments we did a, a qualification with the Prince's Trust for some of our teenagers. Um, so actually trying to keep that consistency of support because we just know how important it is to at least some of those young people. So actually that's been really important. But yeah. we also spoke very early on to the City Council about what they thought the needs of the city were going to be over the coming months. And, and there were three things that I identified, really. The first one was around food, mm-hmm. the access to good quality, healthy, nutritious food for people, uh, which was going to become an increasing issue over over the period simply because you know those people that already needed that food that wasn't going to go away and actually with the economic of the country um, and the difficulties around employment etc it was only going to get worse for people Mm. Um, the second one being around access to medication so how do we make sure that those people that were in need of medication to keep themselves healthy were able to access it when actually their family friends might be shielding they might be shielding themselves and the third one was really about forcing key workers who were working so incredibly hard to keep the community going, how could we support them? So effectively, those are the three pillars of what we've been doing, really. So the first one took a huge amount of backing from the club. And we sat down together, or 
you know, sat down on, on teams, chatting things through um, very early on and, and thought, how could we help? And what we've effectively done is partnered with the charity Fair Share based over in Tottenham. Brilliant organisation, supporting community right throughout the year. But obviously their need has gone up massively in terms of the food that they're supplying. Yeah. And the agreement effectively that we came to was that we were going to cook a thousand meals uh, cooked up by the brilliant, amazing chefs at um, St Mary's who told me that they would get bored if they weren't <laughs> working on a day-by-day basis. Um, effectively cook up some really healthy stuff, freeze it, and then get it out to the community. So we made an agreement with Fair Share that whilst there was clearly need uh, right across Hampshire, that actually we wanted this food to be, you know, Southampton and the immediate surrounding areas, they were really keen for that. And ultimately what's happening is Fair Share are picking up a thousand meals every Friday. They're choosing where they go in the community and they're going to local schools um, in lieu of the kids getting their, getting their lunch um, at school going to older people's clubs, going to the Salvation Army, going to hostels, et cetera, et cetera. So really far-ranging support, and they are the experts in deciding where that food goes. And then we, as a club, led by the foundation, are supporting that onward distribution by providing volunteers on a day-by-day basis. So yeah. on a daily basis, there's four volunteers from the foundation down at Fairshare's um, warehouse in Totten. So I think we're contributing 112 hours a week of volunteering. And obviously, you and, and, and some of the listeners might have seen some photos of some pretty... Uh, famous saints down there as well. Matt Lassiers and James Booty and others have been really supportive and got involved as well. So it's been a really positive thing. And actually, you know, it's obviously something that we never really thought we would move into, but mm. the needs of the city were such that actually that was a really important thing and it's been a really successful thing. And one of the things about how do we keep that going and how do we continue that relationship with Fair Share because that need isn't going to go away. Yeah. And, you know, just to say they're a brilliant organisation. And then a few other bits we've been making prescription deliveries to shielded and vulnerable people right across the community working with the clinical commissioning group with local pharmacies so we've made nearly 900 deliveries in the last six weeks or so yeah. uh, and those are going to people that literally can't leave their houses so it's a bit of a different one for us mm. um you know it's not what again what we intended to do it's not where we probably see ourselves in the long long term yep. but while the need of the city is that that's what we do that's what we're here for we're here to support the needs of vulnerable people in the city and, and actually that's where they sit at the moment and then probably just to close that circle around the key workers support, we put in some provision over Easter, which is really tough for our, our coaches and, and probably the kids as well to keep a social distance soccer school. Yep. You know, normally kids are running around everywhere. And when you're five, six and seven, you know, we've got some huge sympathy with what teachers are going through on a daily day, on a day by day basis with, with their key worker um, kids. But we ran a program, I think 83 kids in total turned up for those two weeks, um, which, was, which was great. And actually it's nice to be able to support those people that are supporting us collectively you know to keep the community going and we'll probably do something similar in the summer city council have already been in touch with us to ask us to do something similar so be pretty busy different but try to keep ourselves active and and ultimately we're just trying to be reflective of the needs of the city as you know the same that we would do at all times no, absolutely and i mean there's one other project we'll briefly talk about in a minute but just overall greg how difficult has it been and how much planning has been needed throughout these past few months to you know achieve the sort of revised but i guess key as you say tasks and deliverables of these realigned saints foundation projects really yeah i mean a huge amount of planning but obviously the thing that we didn't have was time so actually it just shows how quickly you can pull things together when when you need to yeah. you know we were we were up and running with the food partnership probably within about a week of, of actually speaking about it and then similarly with the prescription delivery and and i'm confident we've done everything that we needed to do in terms of safeguarding and and you know of our staff of our participants of making sure that everything is done right but it, you know it was just a really really busy time for us all but you know it was there was a lot of planning a lot of meetings had um, again over teams with 
various people from the council and the, the NHS and, and, and others about how we made that happen. Um, but the needs must actually, if we, we probably put the amount of time planning time into each of those projects that we would normally do and what you'd ideally do, we'd probably still be sat there doing, you know, just the planning now. So mm-hmm. it was, yeah, it was really important to be able to get stuff up and running really quickly. But, and we were really proud of how quickly we got stuff going. And, you know, we've learned along the way with everything that we're doing in terms of, you know, how idiosyncrasies of things work. But ultimately we've got it pretty well spot on, I think, to start with. So actually we're really proud and, you know, a number of people in the team have put in a huge amount of work, mm. um, particularly in those first few weeks where people were just working around the clock to make these things happen. So, you know, I'm ever so grateful for the team and, and you know, hopefully they're aware of mine and the and the club's gratefulness of what they've been doing. Yeah, I think that's a great point, actually, because, uh, you know, we know you've got some brilliant people uh, who work in the team. It'd be easy to name a few, but I think collectively, you know, we know that they are fantastic. So how have they sort of reacted to this as, as well, Greg? Because, you know, there is all the sort of social distancing measures we've had. Of course, it's not, as you said earlier, some of the projects that they would have expected to be working on. So I just imagine, you know, from the people I know, that it's just been a, a positive mental attitude. Just get on with it and deliver what the city needs. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've been overwhelmingly impressed by our staff's attitude, as you know, as I hoped it would be in times like this. But absolutely, they've all stood up to the plate. They've all wanted to get involved. You know, they've not shied away from doing anything, um, including things that probably they feel a little bit uncomfortable with, like the you know the soccer schools going and running those when uh, yeah we were in a time of everyone being told to shut themselves away. So I'm not surprised because obviously that's the type of people that we want in our team. Yeah. Um, but I've definitely been impressed with how people have got on with it. And effectively, you know some of the guys in the team, and ultimately they've just tried to support the individuals that they were already supporting just in a different way. So, you know, there are mentoring calls going on, there's fitness classes going on online that we don't talk about. It's just stuff that goes on behind the scenes, but we just want to have that consistency of support, particularly when we're working with a number of vulnerable people. You know, Russell on the um, the 100th episode spoke about how important it was to have that consistency. And probably never is there a time when you need that consistency more than now when, you know, the world gets tipped, turned upside down. And ultimately, I'm sorry, I sounded a bit fresh Prince of Bel-Air then. Um, but um, <laughs> when the world gets turned upside down, actually probably that's when people that have got, you know, those issues going on in their lives probably have the toughest time. So actually being able to offer a consistency of support, albeit in a different way, now is more important than it's ever been. No, absolutely. And uh, one other project that I know Saints Foundation was sort of indirectly involved in was uh, I think you identified a, a couple of young fans, um, Joshua 14, Florence 10. They were identified by the foundation and invited to try a new visual impairment headset device. So the headsets will ultimately allow them to sit with their parents on the couch when watching TV, etc. Made by Vision Aid Technologies and obviously heavily promoted and driven by Virgin Media. I know a lot of it. Um, they work by magnifying whatever the wearer looks at, clearly displaying the image in front of their eyes on a large screen so as I say I know Virgin Media were heavily involved in that and it's great to see the sponsor doing such a, a brilliant job but also nice for the foundation to play a, a bit of a part you know in at least identifying a couple of people that could really benefit from this. Yeah no brilliant I mean ultimately uh, as you quite rightly said that was led by the partnership team at the club very much and, and working with Virgin Media around you know really strong activation to support Saints fans which is what Virgin Media have been doing you know, since the start of their partnership with the club. But mm. yeah, great for participants that we've been working with for a long time to obviously have that benefit. And actually, hopefully that just shows the strength of the relationship between, you know, the foundation as a integral part of the club, albeit as an independent charity. And obviously, you know, Virgin Media also wanting to make sure that those young people that were being supported also had a longevity 
happy with us as well. So it just shows the strength of the relationship that we've got in place. But a brilliant thing. I mean, ultimately, the best thing is for Joshua and Florence to be able to you know, have the privilege that we've all got to be able to uh, watch games um, like they can. So an amazing thing and, uh, and obviously the type of thing that we'd want to be involved with a lot in the future. It was um, really, really impressive from the club and also from Virgin Media too. Yeah, Look, there's obviously been a lot of positives from the last few months, which is brilliant to hear. And, you know, you can never be too careful when you're planning uh, too far ahead. You know, you never know, quite know what's around the corner these days. But it must have been disappointing to have to sort of postpone some of your proposed 2020 events. You know, the big sleep out, game of two halves, the big bike ride. I know in um, January you spoke about the, the ride from Switzerland and things like that. So will you, mm. you look to try and sort of reschedule some of these things for the future or do you think they potentially miss the opportunity now? I mean, I think we want to either reschedule or kind of recalibrate stuff. So there's something that's going to be going out very soon around a virtual cycling challenge. So either out on the road or in your house to replicate what we would have been doing from Switzerland. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a few ideas about how we could uh, replicate the sleep out that would have happened at the stadium. Um, but worst comes to the worst, we'll, we'll do it next year. You know, ultimately, we tried to shift our fundraising around and obviously Franny was involved around uh, what he did in his garden and we've had some amazing donations from individuals as well and lots of people getting involved in the 2.6 challenge and playing our super draw so as always we've been amazingly well supported by the fans but yeah I mean the intention is that we will run those events um, at some point in time hopefully for all of our sakes we'll be able to do that in a traditional way face-to-face pretty soon but who knows And, and and actually you know, there is still a need within the foundation. There's still a need within the city that we want to continue to fundraise. You know, obviously that's something that is really important to us. So actually it's just about us thinking outside the box and making sure that those events and um, initiatives are uh, accessible to people. But, you know, very fortunate that we had our dinner, which raised £100,000, yeah. you know, two, three weeks before lockdown, because obviously that could have been a real a real blow because there's a number of other other charities, including Fanny himself for Cancer Research, that obviously had to uh, cancel or postpone mm. his dinner. So we're ever so grateful that that was able to happen. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, basically, we will look to replicate what we were going to do at a later date or, you know, as I say, in, it just in, in a slightly different way. So a, a virtual bike challenge, whether that's doing a sleep out that might be in the garden at home, that kind of thing that actually kind of tries to keep that momentum up, but yeah. um, just changes things slightly. Yeah. Um, Luke, you mentioned Franny a couple of times there, Greg. Um, despite all of the, the challenges around at the moment, Mr. Southampton, of course, been up to his uh, normal, brilliant self, running a marathon in his garden, as you mentioned, which raised over £13,000 for NHS charities together and the Saints Foundation. We also know from speaking with Michael Kern recently that some of the purchase cost of his Life of a Saint book is heading directly to the Saints Foundation as well. You mentioned James Beattie, Matt Letizier, um have obviously been helping out at uh, the Fair Share Distribution Centre. It must be really encouraging that even in these difficult and sort of surreal times you know many people are still sort of showing and generating great and much needed support for the Saints Foundation Greg. Yeah no absolutely I mean we're Franny's an absolute machine and and obviously as everyone knows a a huge gentleman and just a a thoroughly good bloke and he gave me a call you know with the idea about doing a a marathon in his garden and and I've said to him before that for anyone else you'd be slightly surprised if someone calls you up and says that he's going to do that but for him it's kind of uh you know yeah of course yeah no absolutely it's um it just feels like it's uh par for the course but yeah, I mean, we've been uh, really fortunate to have support from lots of people, not just those kind of celebs and ex-players. 
from you know normal fans, people that as I say playing the same super draw or just made donations. But obviously, yeah, great that Michael wants to get involved by giving some of the proceeds of his book. And obviously, you know, good luck to him with that book. And I hear the sales are going really well, which is fantastic. Yeah. We spoke um, to Michael before the pandemic, so he was always planning on doing that for us, which is great. And that, again, just shows hopefully the strength of the relationships that we've got with individuals, but also the strength of the brand that we're creating on a collective level. Mm. Um, and then also, yeah, I mean, James Beattie obviously volunteered, but also sold his FA Cup final boots um, for us and for NHS charities through Robbie, yep. uh, Robbie Reed um, on Twitter, which again just shows the character of the man. What an amazing guy. I've been really fortunate to work down at, do some volunteering down at Fairshare with him a couple of times and have a few chats with him. And he, he's just, a, again, a thoroughly good bloke. And, and, and I think someone that, that fans um, want to celebrate. You want to have guys like that player to your team. And yeah. we're very fortunate to have a group of ex-Saints and current players that, you know, the ex-Saints that we've got to know over the last few months have just been a delight and really wanted to get involved. You know, we've had Ruben Agbula down there at Fair Share. We've had Brian Howard, Mark Blake, Nicky Banger, Andy Cook, uh, Leroy Whale, others. So we've been really fortunate. So we're really grateful for that support. But as I say, let's not forget those individuals that are, you know, not celebs that have just yep. gone above and beyond for not just us, but also the charitable environment that we're living in at the moment. Actually, one of the good things that will hopefully come out of the coronavirus pandemic is that actually people look out for others a little bit more. And actually, we've seen a real kind of rise in charitable giving and, and, and actually people wanting to support. So, you know, I'm not just going to celebrate people doing it for us. We're going to celebrate people doing it for the community in the widest sense of the word. That's been brilliant and long may it continue. No, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, look, Saints manager Ralph Hasenhutl was obviously on uh, lockdown, as we know, over in Germany. We know that he's back at Staplewood now, which is good to see. Um, he was quoted a, a couple of weeks back as saying the charity's efforts were, quote, absolutely outrageous. I think he meant it in a good way, Greg. But uh, it must be nice to hear Ralph say that. You know, we know he's a, a very big supporter of the foundation when he can be anyway. But again, just, you know, from a, a club point of view, backing up and sort of promoting the, the great work that you guys are doing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I had to read the report because I saw it in the Echo and it said we were absolutely outrageous and I did wonder what it meant. <laughs> but obviously when you read it, the context, it was a, it, yeah, it was a really great compliment from Ralph. And, and again, you know, that's, that's typical of the man. I, I've got to know him fairly well over the last few uh, months and, and yeah, a couple of years since he's been in post and he's been forever interested in what we're doing. Obviously, it's not something that necessarily happens in Germany with the clubs over there, not to the extent that we've got going over here. So, yeah. I think he's been incredibly um, impressed by what we do, uh, wanting to get involved, wanting to learn more, come along to a couple of dinners, been out to visit some of the young people in schools. And, and some young people took him on a tour of Southampton a, a year or so ago, which was which was a great experience for them and hopefully for him as well. And that obviously runs through the squad. Who you've got at the top really helps to set the tone for players wanting to support as well. And, you know, over the last year or so, we've obviously seen James Ward-Prowse do a lot for us. Um, obviously Maya no longer with us but you know fantastic mm. uh, involvement from him as well but also I think I've said on, on the pod before that ultimately we're very lucky to have the squad of players that we have in place but that does come from the board and it comes from the manager as well so we're incredibly lucky to have uh, Mr Hassan-Hootel in charge and again you know long may that continue. And just finally then, before we come on to talk about uh, something uh, equally as interesting but slightly different, um, in relation to Saints Foundation's work, I know it's not necessarily about the recognition all the time, Greg, but I saw you were recently nominated as a finalist in the Best CSR or Community Scheme category at the 2020 Sports Business Awards. Um, again, no doubt testament to all the hard work and dedication of the Saints Foundation team to be nominated for that award. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so we've actually been... Um 
the finalists in that awards now for three years running. We've not mm. quite won it. So um, obviously we need something to change there. Yeah, well, let's hope so. It's a great testament. And, you know, I would say to the team and hopefully they know that it's testament to the work that everyone does, not just a few of us. So I'm mm. um, really, really fortunate to have that recognition. It's not what we do it for. We do it to try and support the community. But obviously, it's a nice thing to come across our desk or for me to get the email to say you've been you know, confirmed as a finalist. And then also, you know, we've been very fortunate to have a lot of media coverage across this last few months as well. You know, ITV and BBC and Sky and, and BBC Radio Solon and Five Live. And, you know, hopefully that just shows that we're doing something right. I mean, the reality is, as I say, we don't do it for that. But if people are interested, if people want to hear more about what you're doing, if it feels a bit unique and innovative, if it feels like something that maybe a few other clubs aren't doing at that point in time, then I'll take it. It's a great compliment. <laughs> um, look, moving on to talk a little bit more about you and your love of Saints then, Greg. Some listeners will absolutely know that you have a great passion for collecting Saints memorabilia. We all know that you played such a significant role in the We March On exhibition at the Sea City Museum a couple of years ago, which I think so many of us enjoyed uh, going along and uh, you know reminiscing about some of the memories from yesteryear. When did you first get interested in collecting sort of Saints objects and memories? So I guess it goes back to childhood, really. I mean, I, I went to my first game when I was five, so that was 1985. Home to West Brom, March the something. I should know the date tonight. 4-3, which I think also, you know, if it's a 4-3 game, you win 4-3, it's always going to be something that probably piques your interest a little bit. So kind of grew from there, always, um, you know, replica shirts, probably the same as you, Ben. Had replica shirts every birthday and every Christmas and, you know, home away third when they were there as well. And then I guess, Moving into adulthood, I, there used to be the football memorabilia shop run by a guy called Jim Chamberlain that used to be on Old Northern Road right, yeah, um, in the yeah. lead up to St Mary's. And I just remember um, going in there one day and, and seeing an old Saints shirt, the two-tone Hummel shirt, 1987-89. Yeah. Um, and it was um, it was a match warm one for like 35 quid. And I thought, oh, OK, I'll, I'll take that. And then I've got a bit of an addictive personality. And then it all started <laughs> from there. And then from then onwards, it's kind of just been an obsession. We're trying to pick up all kinds of match-worn shirts and that's my thing so yeah. you know Saints memorabilia other people are into programs and photos and autographs and stuff that's not my thing shirts are my thing mm-hmm. so ultimately yeah I was very fortunate to pick up a few and they were on display at the Sea City Museum which you know just on that that was amazing honour yeah. for a Saints fan particularly one that's interested in history and memorabilia because I know you know you can't force everyone to be interested in the history of the club some people are here for the you know for the here and now um, but that was an amazing honour and actually outside of foundation work um, was a real pleasure and probably one of my things that when I eventually fly the nest from Saints, whether that's yeah, through my choice or anyone else's choice, that will be one of my abiding memories of being at Saints will be having the honour of pulling that together, you know, meeting all the guys that are so keen on the Saints and, and some of the players that came down, the ex-players and the current players that came down and actually genuinely showed an interest. So match-worn shirts, my thing, a bit geeky, but, you know, it's my Saints interest and it kind of picked up a few over the years, which have, yeah, just something that I guess is just of a personal interest, really. Yeah, like, I imagine you got some fairly rare things then in your collection from the, the sort of years of uh, pulling it all together. So um, a few that sort of stand out? Yeah, quite fortunate. I've got a few kind of what you would consider, I guess, fairly typical stuff. But I've got Peter Osgood's shirt from the 76 final, um, which I was really fortunate to buy off of his son um, yeah. a couple of years ago so that was a really kind of fortuitous pickup which is great and obviously you know there's only 11 of those or 12 of those including QE Fishers but there's a very finite number and obviously still the greatest day in the club's history albeit ever so slightly before I was born so I didn't yeah. have the pleasure to, to watch it 
Uh, and then a few other bits. Got a you know a, a shirt from the 1982 Porter, the Middle East, which has kind of a Middle Eastern cola sponsor on it, which right. never seen before. But it's uh, it was worn for a couple of games over in the Middle East, and then yeah, some rare bits from the 80s, you know, Air Florida and, and Rank Xeroxes, and and all those kind of stuff. So really fortunate to pick up bits um, over the years. Some cheap and some. I, I wouldn't want to say say what I paid because it's probably it's a mortgage payment on a on a lot of things, but it's something that is just of interest to me and um, something that I will continue to collect probably over the over my life really. Where do you keep them in a wardrobe or are they sort of framed up on a wall or a mix or what? They're currently in my in a wardrobe of my parents who are self isolating, <laughs> so I haven't seen them in a while. So um, at some point in time, I'll have to uh, get them and uh, you know make sure they're displayed a little bit better than they they currently are. But yeah, yeah I mean it's more about having them and being able to um, you know celebrate the history than than necessarily having them on display at all times. But I have one or two around the house at various times, but my walls aren't kind of wallpapered in chat. It's not quite that bad. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. And look, I know there have been previously chat about a potential sort of museum or permanent We March On style presentation at St Mary's. So, yeah. I mean, I know obviously Ralph Kruger and people like that were heavily involved at the time. It's a slightly different setup these days, of course. But do you think that's something that could ever become a reality? The club are absolutely 100% interested in history. And actually, we've seen that come into the fore over the last few months and years and we've got a leadership team on the board who are absolutely committed to celebrating Southampton Football Club's what are we now 20, 135 years history yeah. so absolutely 100% whether there is the reality of a museum or a uh, permanent exhibition I simply don't know mm. um, that's not necessarily on the cards anytime soon um, but certainly in terms of trying to weave in the history to what's going on at the stadium so you'll see the 1885 box which is is amazing um yeah. up on the up on the third floor the hospitality suite so that's been a real good success in terms of trying to weave the history there of the club in its formative years in st mary's and some of the memorabilia that we were really fortunate to work with gary chalk and tim evans who are the preeminent memorabilia collectors of that sort of era yeah. um on and i think that's probably i'm not a decision maker in that regard but that seems to me more likely than a fully-fledged museum, probably, you know, where memorabilia might be displayed around the stadium. But there is absolutely a fundamental celebration of the history of the club. We no longer live in the Fortes era where ultimately the club has no history. That is gone. Mm. That's long gone. And people are very happy to celebrate all of the good stuff and probably some of the bad stuff that has happened over the club's history as well. Yeah, brilliant. And just finally then, mentioning history, um, we're recording this on the, the 26th of May, Greg, which is the 19th anniversary, of course, of the last ever game at the Dell between Saints and Brighton, which saw Uwe Rossler score as we won 1-0. The doors then closed on 103 years of Saints history at that little piece of grass between Milton Road and uh, Archers Road. What's your own memories of the Dell, Greg? Obviously, you mentioned you went to your first game in 1985. So, like many of us, must have a, a great mix of sort of predominantly happy and some disappointing memories from uh, the years yeah no absolutely i mean my last memory of the dell is living there because i had a flat there for about oh, there four go. years after the uh after the dell came down and sat up until about 2010 so that's kind of when someone says to me the dell now, now i kind of think of the uh the blocks of flats um you know living in shannon court but mm. um but of the stadium yeah i mean really fortunate to uh grow up in a time where we have the opportunity to go to games at that place and really see some amazing teams and probably let's be honest not quite some amazing teams in some seasons but the stadium was massive, wasn't it? In terms yeah. of, you know, it was it was kind of falling apart, but at the same time, that was where the 
Um, the beauty of it was really fortunate that, you know, we were one of 15,000 people that were there for some pretty incredible games, whether that's beating Manchester United, whether that's competing with Liverpool and um, whatever. So to be there at the time when Saints were really battling the big boys, you know, on their own turf and really competing with them was a real honour. You know, we had the, you know, the Bramford days, which we all know weren't the, uh, weren't the greatest, um, but ultimately still, you know, really fortunate. I had a season to get there for four or five years at that point in time, across that time and sort of into the Alan Ball era and obviously watched some of those. Well, you know, I had the pleasure of watching obviously Matt, the tears and, and, and some of those other players, whether that's Ronnie Eklund, Jim Matilton, I was always a fan of Richard Hall, Ken Moncow, Jeff Kenner, Jason Dodd, you know, yeah. Bruce Cobbler, Dave Betton, all of those players. We've seen some really good players there. And, and ultimately that place was just magic. I mean, obviously it came to a time in 2001 where, It'd be really interesting to see where the club was now if we hadn't moved yeah, to that yeah. stadium. Yeah. Bournemouth obviously proved an exception to the rule of having a 12,000-seater stadium and uh, and being able to survive in the Premier League or, or, or maybe even a little bit more at times. But yeah. I think that the club needed to move. It needed to move on. The Dell was fantastic of its time and obviously we've all got a romanticism about it. Um, and I think we all kind of wished to a certain extent it was still there even as a as a long-term memory or as a training ground or, or whatever it might be. But mm. ultimately, I think it was the time to move on back in 2001. But mm. the memories don't go. And uh, it was a brilliant place to, to go and watch football. And I think more than anything, we were just really fortunate to watch some brilliant players there and, you know, paying two quid to go into the Milton Road with, yeah, with your dad and not really realising that whether it was Saints players or having the pleasure of watching Eric Cantona or, or Paul Gascoigne or Chris Waddle or whatever, not realising just how fortunate you were at the time. No, completely agree. Yeah. Well, Greg, it's been a, a pleasure speaking with you as always. Thanks for your time, for your team's continued amazing work. All the best for the coming weeks and months. And uh, yeah, look forward to speaking to you in due course. Thanks, Ben. Been a pleasure. Brilliant as always to hear from Greg. It was actually his birthday last week as well, so a belated happy birthday, Greg. I think all of us appreciate the wonderful work that the Saints Foundation carry on doing. Even in these surreal times, it's incredible to know that the people of Southampton have such support. Right, moving on. Last week, I was very grateful to have the opportunity to speak to Danny Ings while he was doing his media duties for Saints. In a short window with Danny, I had a chance to talk to him about Frat and Part knee slides, about his thoughts on the season so far, and also Project Restart. But there was only one place to start, something that him and I have in common, growing up in Netley Abbey. So firstly, Danny, thank you for taking the time to talk with Total Saints Podcast. It's much appreciated. Let's jump straight in. Uh, as a fellow Netley Abbey lad myself, speak to any local and they'll say the village is mainly known for three things these days. The Victoria Country Park, our 13th century abbey, and of course, Danny Ings. Um, sum up if you can, Danny, just the journey that you've been on, I guess. We've all played up Netley Central Rec, so that journey you've gone on to get from the rec to uh, playing on the hallowed turf every week. Yeah, well, you know, they were actually probably the most fun days and the most fun memories I've got of football. Even then when phones weren't around and you kind of knew after school where everybody, everyone was going to be. And you go down the wreck and there'd be 15, 20 lads. They're ready to play football. And I'd go down in my school uniform, I'd rip them apart. And, and it would be, you know, it'd be carnage. It'd be full on. It would be very intense. Um, I've got some great, great memories from then. Um, and then they built the cage, which you probably know about. Yeah. 
Um, so playing in there as well, we have lads come from different areas to come down and, and play against us. And yeah, it's just the best memories. When I think about football and where it kind of all began, I think of Netley, Netley Rec and my dad and all of the, all of the lads that used to come down and play. It was great. Yeah. No, I mean, obviously the coronavirus impact has brought a temporary halt to this Premier League campaign, as we know. But having had a few weeks to sort of reflect, no doubt, yourself, Danny, how do you assess the season you've had personally? Um, I think it's been a great season for me personally. I do. It's been very difficult as well because, you know, the start of the season, um, I wasn't starting the games. You know, you, you respect the manager's decisions, and, you know, and you just try and work hard to try and get into the team and kind of use the Portsmouth game, the Derby game. And I knew that that night I had to do something you know, to try and get back in the team. Luckily enough, I worked extremely hard that night, got a brace and we won and it was a huge occasion and uh, it really kick-started my season. I'm sure you'll be more than aware as well that you've obviously featured in every single Premier League game for Saints this season. So fitness-wise, after putting so much effort in last pre-season, lots of us saw it on your social media and things like that. How rewarding has that been that all your hard work has kind of paid off? Yeah, it's great. I think for any athlete in any sport, all the work you do that people don't see, you know, you see the stuff on social media, um, you know, but every, everywhere I went in the summer, I always tend to go to loads of different places in the summer, kind of stay away, you know, from here. It's, it's my time to switch off. But this preseason, I didn't switch off. I, I carried on the work and I wanted to give myself the best chance going into the season. It's the best I've felt probably in my career this season. My energy levels, my strength, my power, and I feel fast. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel great. And that's credit to everyone at the club and, and also my friend Alex, who was working extremely hard with me. And obviously alongside that, it's already your best Premier League scoring campaign as well. 15 to date, including the run of 10 that you scored in the 11 games between mid-November, mid-January. So I was just going to ask, you know, how you found working with Ralph over the last 18 months and how he's helped develop your game for the Premier League, really? Yeah, I mean, when the gaffer come in, I instantly liked him, instantly, because the way that he sets the team up, it really suits me. Um, the stuff off the ball, I love to win the ball back if, if I can regain possession for the team. That's like a win to me. Um, I get a kick out of it. And also going forward, he likes the intensity going forward. Um, and I try and build my game around speed and, and clever runs in behind and coming and link in play. Um, so, yeah, I, I really feel that over time I've built a, a strong relationship with him. Yeah, and it's, it's, been a, it's been a good one so far. There's one game that I think every TSP listener would want me to ask you about. You mentioned it just a minute ago, of course, the 4-0 win down at Fratton Park. Um, it feels like a long time ago now, but it must have been amazing to score those two brilliant goals and celebrate with the knee slides and the cheeky smile, of course. Um, I think if any of us fans could do one thing in a Saint shirt, Danny, it would probably be to score and then knee slide in front of the Fratton end. So it probably explains why I think so many of us have got a photo or a canvas at that moment. But um, as a Saints fan yourself, you know, how much did those goals and that win mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've played with some great derbies in my career, but this one was more personal than, than probably all of them because, you know, all of my friends around Southampton, I always knew how big this occasion was, always. Um, and uh, I got the opportunity to play in that, and it was huge, and I was never going to take that for granted or not try and give my best that night. I always give my best, but even more so on an occasion like that. So, yeah, to go out there, I was I was frustrated because I wasn't starting in the league. Um and uh, that was probably the worst thing that could have happened to Pompey that night, really, because I was a man on a mission, really. I knew I had to prove myself again um, to the manager, and luckily I did that. I think quite a few of us thought you were possibly going to do a manual Adebayor against Arsenal for the first knee slide, but you only just got over the halfway line. I don't know if you were tired <laughs> out or something like that. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what, what happened there. My adrenaline was just crazy that night. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. And it, it always is in, in derby games, but as I said before, it, more so in that. 
to go there and do that for, for everyone in Southampton, it was, it was a huge feeling for me and for my family as well. Look, if you had to pick one uh, goal out so far this season that's been the best one, would it be Spurs at St Mary's or would you pick another? Um, that was a fun goal. I really enjoyed that goal. Um, I think because, uh, I think it was, was it Toby? Yeah. It was there, yeah, it was. And I think he thought I was going to shoot, but to, to flick it and, and then to slot it home was great. But I, I also really liked the, the goal at their place in the, uh, yeah. in the cup. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like that's what, as a team, we can be all about speed and you know when I saw Redders going with the ball and beating one two three players I thought I'm going to get a chance here to be 1v1 with a defender and uh, you know he, he passed it to me and all I could think about was I need to score here because I had some chances earlier in the game and it just didn't quite happen you know and it got to the point of thinking is it going to happen tonight you know is it going to be one of those nights um, you know but I persisted and I stayed at it and managed to get a goal but you know unfortunately we didn't win that night but you know it's tough it's football. Just a couple to sort of finish on the here and now then. Um, what's it been like getting back to training at Staplewood? Yeah, it's obviously it's different. It's strange and, you know, it's, it's a very difficult time at the moment for everybody. Um, it really is. And what the NHS and everybody are doing on the front line is just incredible. Um, you know, I don't have to say that for everyone to know that, but it's, it's huge. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, but when we were given the green light to, to go back to, to small group training and with all the, the precautions and the protocols that are in place, that the club and all the Premier League and everybody's worked on is, is unbelievable. Um, so going in, it took a day to adapt to all of the protocols with the distancing and the masks and, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, but we're getting some really good work in now. And just finally then, um, a lot's obviously been said and talked about in regards to the Premier League's return to playing. What's your overriding opinion on it? What's the sort of Danny Ings view? Um, you know, as long as it's completely safe to do so or as safe as possible, um, and, you know, the government give the green light, then the responsibility is on us, on us as an organisation to make sure that all of the safety uh, precautions are there and, and we've got to respect that. But, yeah, for me, as long as it's a safe environment, you know, which going into training, I, I feel safer, safer every day going in with, with everything that's in place, um, then I'm happy to do so, that's for sure. Brilliant. Well, Danny, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for joining us. Good luck with the rest of the season, obviously, and keep banging those goals in. Thank you very much. Top man. Thanks. massive thank you again to Danny for his time it was really nice to have the opportunity to speak with him uh, really grateful to him for being such a brilliant bloke to chat to got to say a big thank you to JC as well for helping to arrange it also want to reaffirm my thanks to Greg Baker for joining us on this week's episode we'll be back next week when we have another total recall to share with you in the meantime hopefully football's not too far away now um, it's come to light this week that uh, hopefully the Premier League will be starting again for Saints around about the 19th of June so a few more weeks to keep us going until we can get back to the role coaster of watching saints in the meantime i hope wherever you are you have a good week of course keep well keep safe thanks for listening and keep marching in
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.